morning and Merry Christmas. Liam's right. You're going to enjoy saying this all day long. You'll pardon me this morning. I'm finally getting past this cold that I've had and uh, drinking tea with honey and all kinds of stuff before the service. Thank you to our hospitality team, Kimberly and many others that are, yeah. I am so excited to be here. And I, I just wanted to start, I, I didn't mention this in the first service, but I just want to continue to thank you, the church body, for praying. <coughs> praying for myself, um, for Josh and Liam and the leaders. We are just seeing some amazing things that God is doing. Amen? And I'm looking around here, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people. It's amazing. I love it. But... Uh, we're, we're doing something a little bit different over the last four weeks. If you're new or visiting with us this morning, normally we would be teaching through a book of the Bible verse by verse. For the last four weeks, we have stepped away from that, and we've been studying through Isaiah chapter 9, a small section of it, verses 1 through 7. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 6. And we've been talking about... This series called His Name Shall Be Called. <clears throat> and when you find your place, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read God's word together. And this is what it says. This is what Isaiah writes to the nation Israel. But he writes this from a past, present, and future standpoint, as we'll talk about again today. He says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You may be seated. We started this series three weeks ago and Liam began with it and he was focusing on how Jesus would be known as Wonderful Counselor. His character would be known as Wonderful Counselor. And he asked the question, what makes Jesus the better or best counselor? And the short answer is that he is God. He is God who came in the flesh, Emmanuel. And therefore, he knows all things. And every word he speaks are the very words of God. So that we, when we know, when Jesus is speaking, it is the very word of God to us. It's his counsel. And next he asked us, well, what does God do with all of this amazing knowledge? Every aspect of our lives, what does he do with that? Well, everything that he does is first and foremost to display his glory, to make himself known, but then secondarily... <coughs> pardon me, it's for our good. 
It's for his glory and for our good. Even when it doesn't appear that it is for our good. There are times when we see things happening in our lives or around the world and we're like, how is that good? But trust me when God says that everything is for his glory and for our good, his word declares it. He counsels us with grace. An empathetic heart, Josh mentioned it, kindness and wisdom. And he does this through his spirit. His spirit dwelling within us. The one who convicts us of sin, guides us in truth, empowers us to hear and know the very word of God. He counsels us with his word. Again, we have this amazing document that is both living and active. It's not some old, dead, dusty book. Now, for me, when, before I was a believer, certainly was. Like, I had a Bible. You know, maybe it was like you for a while. It sat on a shelf, and you looked at it. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, cool old book. But no, it's supposed to be, as, as God's word says it is to us, life and breath the bread of life, living water. So he counsels us with his word, and then he uses you and I. He counsels us through each other. Every follower, every believer in Jesus becomes his counselor to this world. Therefore, as the one who knows all things and speaks the very words of God, he is able to impart to us that same knowledge. He imparts this knowledge to us and the proper application of the same. That's wisdom. Again, we become the conduit of God's wisdom. And that is a weighty thing if you think about it. If we rightly understand God's word, he says we are his ambassadors, his representatives chosen before the foundations of the earth to speak on his behalf. And so he uses you and I as counselors. Jesus is the wonderful or supernatural and always good counselor. The week after, I spoke about how Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is the all-knowing God, the universe, the all-knowing God of the universe. He's also our champion, our hero who rescues us. He fights for us. He intercedes for us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He he didn't leave us as he said to the disciples, I don't leave you as orphans. He imparted a piece of himself, the Holy Spirit. And he is always guiding, always providing, and always protecting those who belong to him. And all we need to do to experience him is to draw near to him. You know, you, you know the word, you, you've heard it before. If you seek, you will find him. It's, it's an absolute certainty. He is a rewarder, as Hebrews says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
He promises to draw near to us. And then last Sunday, with our guest speaker, Pastor Doug Snow, he shared with us how Jesus is described as the eternal father. <coughs> According to John chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And then Hebrews 12.2 reminds us that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why are these things important? You and I, we need a good father. Now, some of us have lived in this life and we've had good earthly fathers. And praise the Lord for that. But trust me, even the very best father is going to fail. How many dads would say amen? Amen. Yeah, <laughs> how, many, how many kids will say amen? <laughs> But we have a father, an eternal father, who will never fail us. He will never fail to do good towards us, to speak truth to us, even when we don't want to hear it, to discipline us. We need an eternal, everlasting father. one who was always faithful, as we sang, ever-present, forever caring for his children. And Jesus' character and nature are exemplified in those things. After all, who else knows our weaknesses and hurts like Jesus? Who else can understand rejection, physical and emotional pain, betrayal, injustice, grief, and every other hurtful thing that we would experience in this world and be able to empathize with us. Not just feel bad, like, oh, that's terrible, but to be able to say, I know, I've experienced that, and I know the way beyond it. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, that we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. A great representative in heaven who understands how I fail and how he wants to help me. Jesus speaking to his disciples, <clears throat> he says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There in John 16.33 is what I want to focus on this morning. And what should steady our hearts no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and that is peace. From Isaiah chapter 9 the Prince of Peace. 
But what is meant by these words, the prince of peace? Well, prince, this is from the Hebrew. And in there, in the Hebrew, it's understood that this is referring to the commander leading his victorious soldiers or also his chosen official or representative. This is what it's describing Jesus as, that prince, that commander. Now, we can understand this better if you were to turn to uh, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> and there we see the pre-incarnate Jesus described as the commander of the Lord of hosts, the Lord's army. Here's what it says. Now, it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for your adversaries? And he said, no, rather indeed, I now come as a captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? Listen carefully. The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Makes you think of the other place that this sounds familiar. When Moses stood there before the burning bush and God said to him, what? Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. But additionally, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is also that chosen one, our representing official. As it says elsewhere, that he stands before the Lord day and night interceding for us. <coughs> First Peter 1, 18 through 20, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, for my sake. And finally, in Revelation, we see the fulfillment of Jesus in his role as the king, the commander. Revelation 19, 11 through 14. And John writes and he says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on the white horses. Now, as it's been said, as we were studying through this passage in Isaiah chapter nine, that Isaiah writes this from a perspective from past, present, and future. That this prophecy concerning the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace, peace was past, present, and future for you and I. This is also the message that the angels spoke to the shepherds on the hillside. We sang it just a little bit ago on that first Christmas night. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. But what does it mean when it says peace? Because we have a lot of ideas about what peace means in this world. And this is what the Cambridge Dictionary defines peace as, freedom from war and violence, especially when people live and work together happily without disagreements. We see it within our news media, peace talks, peace proposals, a peace conference, peace initiatives. As one pastor put it, really the world's definition of peace is merely restrained aggression. It's holding two warring parties off. But Jesus has a completely different idea of peace. And it is both past, present, and still future. He spoke with his disciples before leaving the upper room. As he's preparing to leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed, arrested, and then later crucified. But he said these things. Again, he's reminding these disciples, and for us, reminding us today, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. <clears throat> my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace of God through Christ affects every area of life, at least it ought to. It ought to affect past, present, and future. You see, at his first appearance, he came to reconcile the past, your past, my past, to restore an inward peace. Because the issue is that sin was present and even under the sacrificial system that he has established, it was merely covered. It was a temporary situation. He came to remove it, to settle it, to reconcile it. That payment would be fully satisfied. Death, the penalty of sin is removed. And the relationship that first began in the Garden of Eden is restored. As Romans 5.1 says, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of peace that settles the past. Josh mentioned this several weeks ago. When we have that kind of peace, when we come to that place that we recognize that our former way of life is just not working out how we thought it would. And we say, I believe in God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. 
when I confess my sin to him, ask him to forgive me and surrender my life to him, then there is restoration. We become justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And when that happens, forgiveness comes in. And as Josh said, forgiveness interrupts that process, that cycle of sin. It removes the shame, the self-hatred, repentance, that turning away from sin and turning towards God and say, God, I want to do it your way now. It interrupts that cycle. So that as we look at our past, we have peace. Furthermore, the peace of God, the peace of Jesus is our present reality. By grace through faith, we are given the right to be called children of the living God, Romans 9, 26. And as his children, there is nothing in heaven or on earth nor under the earth, and it says here in Romans 8, 39, that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That presently, our life is secure. Nothing can interrupt that. I like the fact that our lives are hidden in Christ. That means secure, kept safe. It's like the ultimate in witness protection. God is storing us and keeping us for a future date, and nothing can interrupt that. We become a new creature, and as such, we have a new nature a restored purpose, and a joy that extends beyond our present circumstances. Have you ever met those people that their lives seem to be in utter chaos, and yet somehow they are the happiest people you know? Have you ever visited someone in the hospital that is dying or a hospice center and dying? Go there to encourage them and leave encouraged by them? That is an inward present peace that is beyond understanding to this world because there is a future peace that they're holding on to. This is what it says in Psalms 46, two through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, the whole world could fall apart. And if you look around, you could easily start thinking that, right? But God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Hebrews 13, 6. I don't know. We're going to keep going. Hebrews 13, 6 says, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Nothing can interrupt that. And last, but certainly not least, Jesus is our future peace. Just as he told the disciples in John 14, 1 through 3, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I like the fact that though we live in this world, our hope is not in it. Aren't you glad? We could easily get stuck in this thing where our hope is in our 401k or our IRA. And then the next week, the market goes, our hope is not in this world. No, we look for a new heaven and a new earth. We're not trying to be escapists. We're saying, no, there is a future hope. We are, uh, Pastor Doug said this last week, we are foreigners here because of our new nature and our new character. (coughs) This place, we don't belong here. We don't fit anymore, and that's okay. But while we're here, we have a purpose, a great joyful purpose. but we have a hope that looks forward to perfect peace. Revelations 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Everything will be made right. We have a past peace that is settled. We have a present reality of peace that is permanent and we have a future peace to look forward to. And this is all because we know the Prince of Peace, Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. He provides the, the, the most comforting and reliable counsel that we could ever have to those who seek him with a pure heart. As the mighty God, he is willing and able to be our champion, our rescuing hero, should we choose him. His power is unlimited. He is able to rescue us from sin and death. As the eternal father, his kindness leads us to repentance. His compassion and mercy, they never cease towards those who are known by him. And as the prince of peace, we have the assurance that all the things in this life and in the life to come are firmly in his hands. Amen? What do we have to fear? According to his words, we have peace. 